It was uh, September the 9th, 1976. I was down uh, near um, town where the recruiting center was. I had gone through my physical that day. I remember standing in this room with uh, many others that raised their hand and swore to protect this country uh, in all sorts of uh, things against enemy, enemy alike. And um, they put us on a bus, and they took us to RDU, and we flew to San Antonio, Texas. And when we got off the plane, there were three of us that um, were going into the Air Force from the Raleigh area. Uh, others were going in different directions. And they carried us into the terminal off of one of the concourses was this huge hallway. And in the hallway, they began to line us up. And the drill instructor, the DI, had us in four lines, told us to be quiet, have our bags. We could only have one bag. We had it down beside of us. And uh, people began to come in and join the lines. And I guess at some point they knew they had everyone because he told us that we were going to go out this side door and down on the tarmac. My guess is that would not happen today after 9-11, but they took us out. There were planes out around. In between planes was this bus, had U.S. Air Force on the side of it. We got on the, the bus and we went to Lackland Air Force Base. They carried us into this room and we had been inducted here in Raleigh. Uh, they processed us at Lackland into the squadron that we were going to be a part of for our basic training. And so they herd us back out onto the same bus we had just gotten off of. They carried us to the dining hall. It's 2 a.m. September the 10th now because we left Raleigh on September the 9th and the bus pulled up to the dining hall and the drill instructor said to us, they tell us we can't put you to bed without feeding you. So eat, and when you're finished, then we're going back to the barracks. Sure enough, we got to the barracks. At 3.30 that morning, the lights went off. At 5 o'clock, the lights came on. Our day started. And let basic training begin. And so there were 42 of us in our squadron. There was 31 of us that graduated six weeks later from basic training. And I could give you stories why all those others didn't make it and were sent home. Uh, some of those are interesting. But what is my point this morning is this. Out of uh, those 42 that began, over half of them smoked cigarettes. Now, this is the middle 70s. That's nothing odd today. I'm wondering if that would be the case. But so they were, from the time they got off of that airplane, these 21-plus guys had not smoked a cigarette until day 10. Day 10, the drill instructor took us, took us out. He said, this is going to be a treat for you guys, or at least some of you today. And he marched us to this parking lot. And in the parking lot, 
He dismissed us and put us in a circle, and he threw about 10 packs of cigarettes on the ground in the parking lot. And he said, if you have them, you can smoke them. You ought to sing these guys that could not wait to get that first cigarette that they had not had in 10 days. There were some that had two in one hand and two in the other, lighting them as fast as they could, sucking on them as hard as they could. And the drill instructor said, I'd be careful, guys. Remember, you haven't smoked for 10 days. They laughed. They didn't laugh long. Because some of them began to throw up. Some of them began to pass out. Some of them were dizzy, and it looked like they had been, you know, on some ship or swirled around really fast, and they couldn't stand up. And, of course, those of us that didn't smoke just laughed. We thought it was hilarious, funny. But here's the point of the whole thing. Their body had been without a cigarette for 10 days. And the minute that they put that chemical back into their body, it wasn't like just a a, um, very light or or a very like they had just uh, been without a cigarette for just a short period of time. It hit their body hard. It hit them multiple compared to what it would have been on September the 10th. Instead, it was September the 20th, and it hit them very, very hard. Now, I tell you that story just to say this. The parable today is going to talk about taking something out of our body, taking something out And if it is not replaced with the right thing, if that comes back in, it comes in multifold. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, this is Matthew 12. And I'm going to be reading verses 43 through 45 this morning. So listen to what Jesus says in this particular parable as we continue this sermon series in the parables of Jesus. So verse 43, now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and they live there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. This is the way it will always be with this evil generation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. 
Amen. This is a really, really important passage for us to understand and grasp hold of uh, this morning because Jesus is describing in this particular passage this generation of his time, but it has not changed. The generations to come, the generation in which we live in today, and unless the Lord come back, the generations that are coming are evil generations. And so in the context of Jesus' parable this morning, as I mentioned, we are going through these parables in chronological order, and this is his next parable that he is preaching and teaching, and if you look back at what he has been doing. He has healed. He has uh, raised the dead, as I mentioned last week. And, and Jesus, you know, um, the withered hand of the man in the temple. Uh, we were watching this uh, last Sunday with the chosen, that particular uh, story of Jesus. As he goes into the temple and there's a man with a withered hand and he heals this man on the Sabbath. And, of course, the religious leaders take issue with him. This is just another instance where the religious Pharisees and scribes take issue with Jesus. If you look before the text for this morning, in verse 34, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? And listen to what he says. He says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. For the mouth speaks out that which fills the heart. And then in verse 39, he says, there's an evil and adulterous generation. And then our verse ends, our passage ends with, and this is the way it will always be with this evil generation. So we look at what has taken place with, with Jesus and his ministry, but what about those who have come to faith in some way or at least have been following him? So there were G, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, and John was preaching a uh, repentance, uh, repent and be baptized there is one that is coming who is greater than I, John would say. And so many that followed John, they said that they repented, but was there transformation that took place? Well, there's evidence that there were many that followed John that the transformation did not take place because many of these were the very ones on the road at the end of Jesus' ministry that called for his crucifixion. Jesus himself, if you go to John 6, you will see that he describes much of what is taking place. And Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 53 of John, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. 
And so those that were listening to him saying that says, what? Eat flesh and drink blood doesn't sound like something that I want to do. And we know what Jesus was saying because if you go back up into verse 48, it says, I am the bread of life. It's one of those I am statements in John. And so Jesus is talking about his life, death, and resurrection and then you get to verse 64 in chapter 6, and this is what Jesus said. But there are some of you who do not believe. There are some of you that do not believe. And then we get to verse 66. Isn't that an interesting address for what Jesus is about to say? Chapter 6. Verse 66. In other words, 6, 6, 6. I honestly don't think things happen happenstance because you know what the mark of the beast is. You know what Revelation says about 666. Six, six. Listen to what Jesus says in John 666. Six, six. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. And we're not walking with him anymore. And so there is a lot taking place here. And some were not transformed. Some had no change of heart. They did not get or understand what Jesus was teaching and preaching. And while they followed him, there was no change. And we get to this passage in Matthew 12, this passage of the unclean spirit. And Jesus says, there's, there's this man who had this unclean spirit, and then this spirit is swept from him. His, his house is cleansed. He is cleaned, cleansed of it, and his house is put in order but the house is unoccupied once this happens. His, his house is no longer occupied. And what does Jesus say? In this unoccupied house, this house that has been swept clean and cleansed, because this person did not fill it with the right things, not only did the demon come back, but the demon brought seven, seven demons with him and entered the man. So seven times the evil spirit now is in the man that got rid of the first evil spirit. And it's because that his heart, as Jesus says, his home is unoccupied. There is a great, great danger of having an empty home. There is a great danger of having an empty home. Jesus equates our heart like our home. And because of the fallen nature that we have in our life, because of the sin that entered in the fall of man, our heart, if we do not put something cleansed in it, clean in it, then it is likely to be filled with the things of this world. We cannot leave our heart unoccupied or empty. 
You remember Matthew, I hope, 15. These words should sound familiar to you, verse 19 and 20. Jesus says, Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slander. And then he says, These are the things which defile the man. And so we know that our heart can be evil. We can have evil in our heart because of our fallen nature. Scripture also tells us the other side of that coin, and that is that out of our heart can come righteousness. Out of our heart can come compassion and forgiveness for one another as we live into what God has called us to be as followers of Jesus Christ. And so our heart is like our home and it can be filled with those evil things or we can fill it with those good things. When we truly come to Christ, when we truly come to Christ, our heart, our home is cleansed. Hebrews 10.22 tells us that our hearts, when we draw near to God, when we truly surrender our life to God and come to full assurance and faith of who Christ is, that our hearts will be cleansed, will be sprinkled clean, the Hebrew writer says, from evil conscience. And then he says our bodies, our very bodies will be washed with pure water. So purity will enter our life as Christ washes us clean. And this is the promise we have as we surrender our hearts to Christ, that we are purged from the evil deeds. Those evil deeds are removed from us so that we can serve God with our whole heart. We are swept clean by Jesus, and by Jesus our life is put in order. But Jesus expects for this cleansed heart not to be unoccupied. He gives us his spirit to dwell in our hearts. He gives us his very presence to dwell in us, to give us peace, to give us grace. He fills our hearts so that not only can we love him, but that we can love one another. God's word reminds us that his law is to be written on our hearts, that every time that we read scripture, we are to take that into our hearts. We are to be filled with Christ and his word at all times. Nothing in this world Fill that void in your life. Fill your heart. Satisfy your heart. Nothing, not any of the pleasures of this world will last. They will only be temporary. And so Christ calls us not to leave our heart unoccupied because we run the danger of what might happen. So what will happen if we do not fill our home with these things of God. Well, remember the maxim, nature abhors a vacuum. And if we do not make the effort to fill our hearts, our home 
with good things, then it will be very easy for the things of this world to come back and often come back with a vengeance in our life. We see this throughout Scripture, just a couple of places in Scripture that remind us Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And uh, in chapter 6, he tells the church in the first letter that they were washed and they were sanctified and they were justified by Jesus in their life. And so he is encouraging them in chapter 6 of this first letter in the faith. But then in the second letter to the same church in chapter 12, he says, But you have tangled yourself in sin again. You have allowed your hearts to allow sin to come back into your life. And he chastises them for not filling themselves, keeping themselves full of what God had done for them. And so, believer, it is not only those who are non-believers that fill their life with things of this world. But Jesus reminds us that we can be swept clean, we can have our life in order, he can put everything right, but if we do not let him fill us, we're going to have our heart unoccupied with the things and the ways of Christ. And temptation and sin can enter back into our life. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the lust of this world. Peter writes in his second letter, and, and he says in, in the second chapter, he's talking about the, the false teachers, and he says, those are among you who you have uh, been bought, but now they are teaching something that is false to you. You better beware of that. And so Peter chastises them for how they have turned and they have now begun to allow the lust of the heart to be a part of their life. For us as believers, the Hebrew writer reminds us that we allow our hearts to get hardened. There are times when something happens in our life and we begin to question God and we say, God, where are you? I just don't feel your presence. And we allow Satan to get into that moment and begin to harden our hearts. And we begin to move away from repentance. We begin to fill our hearts with things other than Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit. We actually will sometimes enter into willful sin and allow our very spirit to trample the Spirit of God that is in us. We look at Christ and begin to think, oh, those are just common things that Christ did instead of miraculous things in and for us and the church. We begin to insult the spirit of grace that God has given us. We begin to buy into the pleasures of this world. And Christ in this parable reminds us things can get worse than they were at first.
things can get worse than they were at first. So how do we not let our heart remain empty, unoccupied, thus inviting the things of this world to come and take residence in our heart, filling our home, the home of our heart, in principle, I think there are two things that we need to remember. And first is, Peter reminds us in that third chapter of his first letter, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. And when he talks about sanctify here, he's talking about being set apart. That's what the word means, to be set apart for Christ. We are different from the world. If you say that you have given your life to Jesus Christ and absolutely nothing has changed, no one in your life could say what has happened to you because I see a difference in your life. If there is no transformation, if nothing has happened differently in your life, your mind, your heart, how you're living, then you would have to question, was your heart cleansed to start with? Did you allow yourself to be transformed in the likeness of Christ, set apart for his purpose? So we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, Peter says. Fill our hearts with God as ruler over our life. And then secondly, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but secondly, we need to be selective as to what goes into our minds. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians 3 that we are to set our minds on things above. That, that we are to let God's word dwell in us, richly in us. And, and so we have to question ourselves. What are we allowing to enter our hearts, our minds? Are we opening the door for the pleasures of this world that would lead us astray? Or are we filling our life with wholesome and good things? Paul, when he was writing to the church at Philippi, in chapter 4, verse 8, I want to read the last phrase and then go back and read the verse. He says, dwell on these things. This is great advice from the Apostle Paul, ultimately from God for us. So listen to what Paul says we should dwell on in our hearts and in our minds. So verse 8 reads this way, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent and any, if any, worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We have to be selective of what goes into our minds and our hearts because Satan wants to fill us. He wants a piece of that of that place that we have left unoccupied by God. So what do we do? If those are the practical or the principal ways, what are the practical ways that we live into filling our heart 
and making sure that it is not unoccupied. The first, I think, is to utilize every opportunity to study God's word. And I want to add the word there, pray. It's not on the back of your bulletin. But as I was um, praying this morning, I was thinking, you know, I need to add that piece. And it needs to be a part of how we go about filling that unoccupied space of our heart. We need to study God's word and we need to pray. Study God's word. You need to be in worship. You need to have every opportunity to worship when you can. I realize there are times that you're going to be away. There are things in your life that happen. There are times that you are sick. I understand that. God does too. But when you have the opportunity to worship the Lord, you need to be in worship. You need to be studying, listening to the preaching of God's word Hebrews 10.25, and you just need to remember this, when someone tells you, oh, I don't need to worship God in the church, it says to us, do not forsake your own assembly together. Do not forsake your own assembly together. Together, The Hebrew writer is reminding us there is a purpose. We can go back to 1 Corinthians 12. We can go to Ephesians 4, and we know that the gifts of the Spirit are given to us for the upbuilding of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is the church, and we're to be a part of the church. Do not forsake worship. And in worship, as we study God, as we study together God's Word, has a place, fills that empty void in our life. I would encourage you to read your Bibles daily. Psalmist in the first Psalm, verse 1 and 2, how blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit at the seat of scoffers. And then you have that but. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, And in his law, they meditate day and night. There is something about the study of God's word that fills our life in so many ways. And we're to be in God's word, believer, every day. And then prayer has to be a component of our life. How awesome is it that God allows us to talk to him? And he talks to us through the power of his spirit. And so prayer has to be a part of that practical way of utilizing every opportunity to fill our heart with his word and prayer. Secondly, we need to fill our heart with the psalms and the hymns and spiritual songs. We have a mechanic uh, that we use. Uh, it's a good friend of ours. They were in uh, a church that I pastored in the Sand Hills and Jeff and Karen are just the salt of the earth, great Christians. And you can't walk into their shop. In fact, I walked into their shop yesterday because I had a a nail in my tire, and I went over to their shop to have it repaired. You walk into their door, and the first thing that you hear is Christian songs. It plays from the time she unlocks the door to the time that she locks it back and goes home. And uh, you will hear 
just these wonderful songs that are playing, and she has them playing loud enough anyone in the showroom, anyone in the uh, waiting room can hear them. And we were talking yesterday about filling our life as my truck was being worked on and and Karen said, there are just so many people that don't fill their life with the right stuff. And I said, it's funny you say that. I'm preaching on that tomorrow. And she said, really? I said, yes. She said, it's just I see people and my kids are just putting so much in their, their life that just turns them away instead of bringing them back to Christ. And I mentioned to her, I said, one of the things I'm going to mention tomorrow is about music. And I said, you have this music playing. I says, it doesn't go unattentive. Every time I walk in, I know that you're going to be playing Christian music. And it fills and warms my soul. I don't know what you play in your truck or car or what you play in your house. I will tell you that the more that you can listen to great hymns, great spiritual songs, even some of the great contemporary pieces that have been written in the last few decades, when you listen to the Psalms either read or sung, it can really bless and fill your heart in a way like no other. You say, well, I can't sing. Well, make a joyful noise. Sing. Sing. Sing in your car. Sing at home when no one else is there. Sing songs to the Lord. I often, when I think about singing in Scripture, I think about Nehemiah when he had finished um, leading the uh, nation of Israel to rebuild the wall. And they built it in 55 days. It had been destroyed. And in 55 days, God led these people to rebuild the wall. And what happens as they finish the wall? Nehemiah calls them to go and go around the city on the wall. And what are they to do? They are to sing songs of psalms to the Lord, praising the Lord for what the Lord was able to accomplish. I get that picture in my mind. It says, and they used cymbals and they used instruments and they sang to the Lord to the top of their voice. How important it is for us to fill our hearts with psalms and songs and praise. Third, we need to let our mind dwell on the things that are worthy of praise and worthy of virtue. There are so many things in this world that will fill your heart and mind. I don't know your um, habit of watching TV or what movies you may watch, but I will tell you that Hollywood is out for your heart. When you turn on the TV today and and Many of you are my age, maybe just a slightly little bit older. But today in prime time, what you see when you turn on TV, in when I was growing up, that would have been pornography. I mean, just literally pornography. It would not, it was not allowed in prime time. It is not uncommon to flip on a TV, much less a commercial at times, and see something that you would want to hide your eyes or your children's eyes. And so we have to be careful about what is worthy of our praise 
what is worthy of virtue for us to put into our hearts, our minds, into our sight. We have to be cautious of that. And, you know, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, there are some good things that, that take place on this little device. And, um, you know, this is actually a, a computer, much like any other laptop or desktop that you have. You can do just about anything you want uh, with this little device. And it will take you many places that Satan would love for you to go. And you have to be cautious that what you're putting in front of your eyes and heart is righteous, is worthy of praise, has virtue when it comes to your walk with God. And then finally, one other thing that I want to caution you on this particular point, and that is what you are reading. There are some great books that you can read. But be careful about the books that you read because not all of them are wholesome. Not all of them are righteous. Not all of them are going to lead you down a wholesome path. And I would even add that you are cautious when you are studying Scripture, when you open a periodical or a magazine or a commentary that you may be searching for something as far as depth or understanding because not every periodical, not every commentary is written from a place that is right, worthy of praise, worthy of your reading. So you have to be careful about what you digest or ingest into your life. And then fourth and finally, you have to be careful about your friends, choosing your friends carefully. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the 33rd verse. Um, you can jot that verse down, uh, look at it later. Um, my version says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. I have found that there are two things that will happen with the people that you associate with in your life. One is they will be those that will encourage you and lift you up, or there will be those that will try to tear you down or hinder your efforts in how you are trying to walk. That is my experience in my life. And Paul tells us, as he writes, to be careful of participating or allowing ourselves to be brought into the darkness of this world. The Apostle John tells us God is light and with God we are to dwell with him so that the light of Christ is in us and is bright in us. So we have to be careful about the darkness. There is no darkness in Christ. Now, you would say, well, wait a minute, Marty. You tell us all the time that we need to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to share the gospel, that means that we are going to befriend or have contact with, associate with those that are not believers. And in some cases, those that are living in evil. And you are absolutely right. We are to do that. 
what we have to caution ourselves of is when God gives us the opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we come alongside, even sometimes befriend those that may be living their life outside of the will of God, we cannot let that association bring us to their level. We have to be on guard. Choosing your friends carefully is to make sure that you choose carefully how you are walking. And you have to have some accountability. When we surround ourselves with people of faith, when we surround ourselves with people of faith that will hold us accountable, when we surround ourselves with people of faith that will come to us and say, I want to encourage you in this, or I have seen this in you and I want to talk to you about it. These are tangible ways of associations that we have to help us guard our hearts against it being unoccupied or having a space that we have not surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so the question this morning is this, what is the condition of our hearts? And only you can answer that. I can't answer it for you, no one sitting beside you. Only you can answer the condition of your heart what are you filling your heart, your house of God with? What are you allowing in your life? Are you in that unoccupied space or has God occupied every space of your heart? As Jesus washed you and cleansed you and justified you, set you apart for his purpose, did you then begin feeling, filling your heart and life your very mind, with everything wonderful about God? If so, praise God. If not, then today is today to set those things aside because the longer that you allow any part of your heart to be unoccupied by the things of God, the more Satan is going to pounce on you and try to not only grab that, but he's going to want to exponentially multiply it. Verse 45 of this passage, Jesus says, this is an evil generation and it always will be. And it has been and it still is and it will be until he returns. The generation, there is a generation that is evil. But God calls us to examine our very life and make sure in our cleansed heart that he has a firm place. That day, I remember, I honestly remember laughing. I can see that picture in my mind as guys were falling out, as they were just literally sucking on multiple cigarettes that day, trying to get that nicotine back into their body. And my thought that day was, man, I'm glad I didn't ever smoke. <laughs> well, when it comes to us as Christians, we can't say, Man, I'm glad I never sinned because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of what God has done for us through Jesus, he cleansed us. He cleansed us, our heart. I love that word, swept clean in this passage. Put in order, Jesus says. 
But then he says, but that person left their heart unoccupied. Let it never be said that we've left any part of our heart unoccupied because we will fill it with something of the world. May God continue to lead us through the spirit that he has given us, that very spirit in our life. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for this parable that reminds us. In fact, it challenges us about our hearts and what we are putting in and filling our hearts with. And so, Father, we just thank you so much that you have given us your spirit as the psalmist David reminds us that we're to fill our hearts with you. We are to be mindful of you, that your spirit will lead us and guide us. Father, let us surrender all. From the inside out, Father, let us surrender all to you. And we'll give you thanks. Father, we pray this in your name.